You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship with your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. We've all heard of the success stories of entrepreneurs starting businesses in college. Martin Kenneth Lopez is one of those who actually founded his business, Tecton Labs, while still in college in Peru. With a go big or go home attitude, he had his eyes set on the USA market and obtained his very first client from posting on tech message boards. This was way back in 2007. Fast forward to 2020 and Tecton Labs has scaled to over 150 employees. We talked about the growth of his business, scaling to so many different countries, replacing himself as a CEO, and now all his plans for his future endeavors. Thank you so much, Kenneth. Welcome to the Global Ooj podcast. Appreciate you joining us here today. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yep. So, Kenneth, you told me that you're currently based out of San Francisco and you moved here a few years ago, but your journey had started back in Peru. So could you take us a little bit through where you had started your business, Tecton Labs, how you had started and kind of your upbringing over there? Sure. So I'm originally from Peru. I was born there. I had the luck of traveling a lot to the U.S. Uh, I ended up working in Wisconsin. Uh, and I had a glimpse of what was technology when I was working in Wisconsin. So I said, that seems nice. Why we cannot do it in Peru? And that's why when I was in the university back in Peru, I said, instead of uh, wasting my time, um, I will say it in my way, uh, wasting time in the university, uh, I will build a company. So the worst thing that could happen is that I will fail. So uh, I started the company when I was in third year of school. Uh, that experiment worked and I was able to scale the company. But always I had the focus of starting in the U.S., meaning my main market from day one was the U.S. market. That's kind of like a little bit of the story. Okay. So you had started way back in college. How... How did you even get to that first client? I, I'm trying to figure out <laughs> when starting so brand new, you're not, first of all, not even within the U.S., but your clients are uh, that you were targeting are U.S.-based. And so how were you able to actually land that first client as a college student while still managing your finals and exams and everything? Well, that, that was very, I mean, it's very interesting and very uh, important in a way because the first client, it's kind of like the foundation for the rest, especially in the U.S. Right. market. In Latin America, it's a little bit different because in Latin America, everybody, it's about connections, it's about who you know, it's about your credentials, blah, 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 all the yada, yada. Here in the US, it's different. It's kind of like they give you an option, they give you a chance, and if you take it and you do it in the right way, they will give you more. So long story short, I started writing to SD Forum in that, in that time, and that right now it's called Silicon Valley Forum. Which is, which is basically a board uh, where you were putting no, uh, you know, uh, announcements like, hey, I'm from Peru, I wanna, I wanna, I'm able to work with US clients who wants to sign up. And I didn't have any, I didn't find any clients there, but I was finding connections. Those connections allow me to get to the next connection. And finally, I was able to do uh, a small project for Bank of America uh, through a partner, obviously, but it was kind of like our huge first client in the US uh, when, when I was like 21 or 22. So a uh, big, big hit. And that takes us to the next client and that's how we scale the company basically with almost no sales team until a year ago, basically. Wow, so it was 
So pretty much off of these forums that you were able to say, hey, I've got these skill sets. I've started this company. Is anyone looking? And then that eventually carried on. Wow. So, so from that point, after getting your first client, how were you able to, you said that's how you were able to scale your company. So is that how it started? You've got, you landed Bank of America and then that ultimately led to the cash flow, which allowed you to scale your team, grow that sales team. And then therefore, or did you have to actually raise any money or how, how did that growth work? So there are different ways to, to grow a business. In our case, we didn't raise money because when we started, it was not a trend uh, like it is right now that everybody wants to raise money. So we, we took the long, the long way in a way that is kind of each client is revenue, revenue will, will fuel the expansion and so on. So if you don't scale fast, you will be slow. So it, that's why it took us kind of like the first client allow us to have a good first reference. So at least when you go to a new market, the, reference, the references are key, especially in the US. So we needed one reference. We needed somebody who will say, yes, Tecton is great, Tecton is good. So that fell the first milestone or landmark allow us to grade. We have a client. Now the next one was easy, the third one was easy and so on. So that's how we manage. But we didn't raise money until now, and I don't think we will raise money probably for the next three years really, if really everything good. goes okay. correctly. What's your what's your mindset on that as far as raising? Because now you're you're in the Bay, you're in Silicon Valley. Uh, I know you touched on it a little bit, but for a company like yours, where on a consultancy you have margins for every single project, so it's uh, the revenue model is relatively simple, right? You uh, charge X your costs are going to be X minus Y, you know, so you're going to have some sort of profit margin baked in. So when that's the case and you're cash flowing, well, do you ever need to really go and raise money, especially one that's had a 13 year history? I mean, you've started over a decade ago. So is that really necessary? Do you think for it's necessary in some ways, depending on the speed and the hunger, meaning that in our in our journey, we were able to invest in the startups, invest in, in investment funds because we had the cash. So that doesn't mean that we will need to raise money in the future. And that will depend on where we want to play, meaning that we you have companies like Globant that are from Argentina and they scale all the way to the US, uh, among others, that they raise money because they want to expand 100x. So in, our, in, in my case, if I want to scale, probably I will be able to do it 3x every year. But I've been mean, using all the resources that I have. Uh, but if I want to scale 30x, I will need money. That's where you right. start seeing if you need or not the money. In our case, our, the way that we've structured the culture is like more than the speed, it's equality. So I don't want to be a 6,000 people company without a soul. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be, you know, like a right. thousand really good people that are really passionate for what they do than yes, yes, a, a set of bodies in an office. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. And so how many, what, what is your footprint currently? How many team members do you have across, across the globe? Right now, probably 160, 170, depending on, on how many people we hire, but, uh, around there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you've started in Peru and now you're, you've got a footprint in Silicon Valley in various parts of the U S Mexico, uh, Colombia, Peru, Chile. Dominican Republic, uh, anywhere else? Uh, we have people That's from Argentina as well, uh, but okay. you know, let's, let's, the, 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 the countries that you mentioned or cities that you mentioned are fine. Okay. 
And so in all those countries, where was it a strategic decision to go to one versus another? Um, like you said, clients are going to be US-based, so you want to be here in the US. So that that makes sense. But what about the other countries? Were they more so for the talent or was it more so for the client base that you were seeking uh, this expansion? Sure. That's a great question. So originally, it's everything uh, because of the talent. We want to diversify the talent. And this means that, for example, we have Peru, Mexico, DR, and Colombia. We, what we want to do eventually is kind of like Colombia will be a center of excellence for IoT. Mexico for DevOps, Peru for cybersecurity, and so on. That way, when we need to build a team, it's kind of like the best of each region that will uh, assemble this team. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we won't be taking clients locally. That's not my main focus, but that happens. So we have clients in, in many of these countries because they know about us and, and they call us. But our focus here, our effort is here in the US. Okay. And going back to what you guys do. Can you go through a little bit about what your services were when you started back in 07 versus what your the gamut of services that you guys offer today and um, how that's grown over the years? So at the beginning, we started as a software company per se, meaning that we were doing, we were receiving requirements and we will build it with a good quality, but not asking too many questions because the story about Tecton is that before we, before I created the software company, we, we were a product company. So I failed miserably building 10 products. So I realized I'm not good building products, but I'm good, I'm good building products for someone else. So that's how I pivoted into what's Tecton, what was Tecton at that moment. So we started doing only software. Uh, and then uh, as we evolved, we realized that the clients need more help from UX UI, we, would, we were doing UX UI wireframes before nobody was doing it or you know, in the early stages for free, just because we'd rather invest in that than building software that is crappy. So that's how we do it. If you compare today against today, it's like kind of like right now we are a consulting company, meaning that 50% of what we do, it's consulting in regards to product, product validation, market feed, uh, process, uh, market uh, market assessments based on the product, uh, even the business model, all the way through architecture before we even build it. So that's that's, the, that's a huge difference from, from the, first day, the first time Softpectum. I actually love that. And I think that front-end expertise really comes only with with a decade long of, long of experience, right? I mean, it's nothing that you could have done from day one because that truly... I. I think the backend work, the actual technical post-architecture work could be done by many people, but it's truly the front end that I think takes a certain level of expertise to be able to say to a client, hey, we can consult you on this because uh, it's not about actually executing the building it's and the development work. It's about constructing the framework in which you can actually uh, give those documentation, give that information to the development team to actually execute. And the, 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 the culture yeah. right now, the company is kind of like, we question everything, meaning that, yes, the client might, might tell you, yes, I need a CRM. It's like, why? Why? Convince me that you need a CRM. And if you need a CRM, there are 10 in the market that you can just pay. So we don't need to build it. So that's, that's kind of like right. how we approach issues. Right. And do you, uh, do you focus on in in any one sector, any one industry, uh, or is it just based on the client you kind of uh, 
focus on their framework and what they need and not so much the industry? It's, I mean, we, over the years, we, we work with different sectors, uh, all the way from education to government. But today I will say that we are really strong in financial services, you know, in, in banking, fintechs, insurance companies, healthcare, and uh, now, but these days, uh, retail, obviously, every, everybody is, is doing retail. And the one that we are becoming strong is going to be real estate. That's something uh, that even real estate is getting up to date thanks to COVID. So there's a lot of work to do there. Just curious on the insurance front, because I own an insurance software consulting business as well. And so we're trying to focus on the digital transformations for some of these businesses and they're extremely archaic. I mean, insurance is probably one of the oldest industries out there. Uh, and so could you go through a certain product or something that you've built for uh, one of your clients that, uh, so I can conceptualize? Yes. So we had, we had everything from the insurance company that they want to build a new product that will allow you to diagnose or improve your diabetes, that, that, that extreme mm -hmm. all the way through, you know what, we, we need to move to the cloud and we have no idea how. But I will go with one in the middle, but was kind of like with a huge insurance company in Latin America. I cannot say the name, but uh, it was really interesting because they were one of the first insurance companies in Latam to move to the cloud. So when we arrived to the company, it's kind of like, shoot, you want to, you want to transform your company? Data is the key. But before we even think about prediction or anything like that, let's let's clear the, let's clean the house, meaning that you have island systems, you have uh, the same patient as a prospect, as a client, uh, perhaps three different ways to see the client because you have middle name, no middle name, uh, ID, no ID, no insurance, insurance. So it was kind of like messy. And that's why they had so many issues because you were already a client and you were you will receive advertisement from like if you weren't. So it took us almost like nine months to clear or make a real inventory and establish a centralized database. So we can start killing system by system. So we can have one source that will connect with the backend, meaning that the, the core systems, the CRM, the ERP and all that. And then we build layers out, all the front end. So they can use mobile applications, they can use WordPress, they can use all this integration. So because, I mean, it's a client that is still working with us today, but it was like a really long project. So, but it was really fun. You're, that's speak my language because I've, I've definitely come across those situations where either through acquisition or just over the years, you have multiple different teams and departments that have been constructed using systems that are in parallel yet not integrated. So it, it just, uh, whenever I look at those situations, whenever I'm in client engagements, it just kind of baffles me. Why are you doing this in parallel instead of instead of being an integration integrated tool or uh, a team company-wide so um yeah i love those situations where you can break those barriers and just you know build a system where it can be integrated uh regardless state by state you know um combining various state regulations or internationally as well uh typically for insurance do you focus on carriers or is it the brokers or uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything in this in this in this regard because we have from the insurance company the brokers uh also the in some insurance companies they own their own clinics so it becomes a crossover between healthcare and then they have the laboratories as well so it's hybrid of a little bit of everything all right okay and so as far as your team goes 
you mentioned, ideally you'd want certain folks that specialize in a certain product or a certain element of the development and within each country and within their own specialties. So, but when you first started, how did you actually expand into those areas? Um, I'm talking the nitty gritty details of actually opening shop there, you flying down there. I mean, was it, was it that complex where you needed to have maybe someone, let's say you're opening up um, somewhere close by in Bogota. Did you know somebody out there? Did you have somebody that can say, Hey, you know what? I'll actually manage this facility for you. I'll manage this team. I'll do the hiring. Or were you out there, uh, especially in your early years, doing all the hiring, uh, scaling the team and making sure that it's got stability and then moving on country to country? How did that process actually work? At the beginning, we started in Peru, obviously, and I was in charge of recruiting and all that. We didn't have an HR team. So we were searching more. For, I was searching more for talent than experience per se, because I can teach you to code, but I cannot teach you to think or to have critical thinking or growth mindset or grit. So that's something that I cannot teach you that's in you or not. So I was searching for that because at the beginning I need people who will follow me to the hell back and forth. So that was, I was searching and, and in order to get that, I was in recruiting. I understood how to do it in Peru. And then I, I was traveling to, I was, I was, I was traveling to Mexico. So, so I can do the same, you know what I mean? It was, it was kind of, uh, we'll say in, in an issue, it was an issue or a challenge in the beginning, but once that you master the culture and then it's kind of like Peru has a one culture, Mexico has a different culture. Colombia has a similar culture, but with a twist, once that you understand the, the small adjustment that you have need to do to the final, it, it works perfectly. Mm. But it took me, I mean, from 50 people, I was hiring one, if I was lucky two perhaps. So I oh, was wow. really picky yeah. even today. Yeah. And so what about today? How does that operation work? Do you have uh, kind of an office manager, a manager in every single country that that's your core leadership team that you. We have a, a kind of like or? a different structure. So we have the shared services. That means for example, for HR, it's in Peru from eight from Peru. We hire people everywhere, even in the U S because that's where they have all the knowledge and all that. We didn't, we were not in the dimension that we will need somebody of HR in each of the countries, especially right now because of the co because of COVID, everybody's remote. So you want to make even sense to have somebody right. in HR there, but uh, we don't have that. Now going to the, the territories as we call them, we are trying to manage by country managers in a way. So each country or territory has one country manager that you can manage one or more, more cities, depending on the density or the amount of projects that you will have. That's how we manage. Hmm. And any new countries that you're looking towards? We right search now? a lot. I mean, in America, so we, I mean, America in general, we went all the way from Patagonia to Canada. So the countries where we, where we are are probably the ones that we will stay. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, that, that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we won't be opening any other commercial offices. Now I'm searching again in Europe, uh, just because we might we might scale or we might need different type of talent. So Europe is one more area that I already tried to explore. It didn't it didn't work the first time, uh, but let's see how this goes this time again. Why didn't it work? I was in, in Vienna, Austria, trying to open the office and it's a different structure than the US. Uh, even when it's European Union, it's not too much as a union, meaning that in each country is 
different laws, uh, different procedures, uh, different culture for doing business. Uh, even some some of the current, maybe when you have the euro, in not all the countries that work. So it was a little bit challenging, and right. it was not perhaps a good timing for us because we were scaling. Uh, derail us on our focus. So now we're bigger. Let's see if the experiment might work better again. And within the Americas that you've already opened shop in, has that process been pretty easy as far as opening the company, getting folks, uh, as far as legally? No, yes and no. Legally, for example, Mexico was a little bit challenging. Legally, in all the countries, it's a little bit challenging, mm -hmm. except the U.S., even in Peru, where, where, where I have a passport. Uh, hiring people is not that complex. As long as you have, now that we have our, our process well-defined, it works perfect. But mm -hmm. before, uh, it was, was kind of like adjusting, but legally, the legal, the taxation, that's mm -hmm. the headache because you need to see, for example, taxation right now. Where do you invoice? Do you invoice from each country? Do you invoice from Peru? Do you invoice from Mexico? Do you invoice from the US? Where they have a treaty? How you move the money? All those things that, that you need to end up paying lawyers, um, accountants, so you don't pay a lot of taxes <laughs> in the good way. Right. Wow. Yeah, that is pretty interesting, especially when, yeah, so many different regions. Yeah, I never thought about the invoicing aspect. That is That is significant. And one thing that you had mentioned was that with your current entity, because of the cash flow, because over the years you've never raised, but you've still been able to actually invest into other companies. So can you go through that a little bit? Is that so have you acquired any companies under your umbrella or is it uh, investing in light companies or is it personal investments? How? What exactly did you mean by that? We try to acquire a company in Mexico because obviously it's easier to buy the company than build it, uh, but it didn't work out. Uh, that's why that's why we stop and say, let's build it our own uh, in each country. Then I personally invest as an angel mm -hmm. investor in startups and small our investment funds in the US. Okay. As a company, we also used to invest in startups, but then we realized that we don't control the startup. So it's kind of risky because if you don't control it, they might just hit the tree and they're dead. So that's why we invest right. more in Aztecton. We invest, we invest more in funds, kind of like Endeavor Catalyst in New York mm -hmm. or other funds that are more solid, that they do all the due diligence, they know the startups, they know how to control it, and mm -hmm. we just piggyback from that. So that's interesting. Is that... So... You're not actually, I mean, when you invest in a fund, it's completely different from investing and acquiring, outright acquiring a company for growth. So uh, is it you're able to do that and have that flexibility because you own the company outright or majority of it and um, are looking for the long haul or because I'm trying to understand the fund versus maybe, let's say, buy an existing company to roll up into the, the idea of as a company to invest in funds is because we are helping uh, a lot of startups, meaning that when you have the funding, we can help the startups to scale and all that. So we have a really good connection with investment funds because sometimes we became, sometimes even part of the due, we do part of the due diligence, we, we're part of the, the selection committee, uh, we help to scale in different ways. So we became kind of like an advisor of the funds, especially in technology, because you need to understand somebody like, hey, they don't have an IP. It's just BS. Or 
they said this will scale it won't scale it will cost you another million dollars just to make it a scale so it's not bad it's just like it's not as, as value as they said so that's why we invest in funds because in a way it's kind of like a, a good way to get into that market the second is like hey let's invest a little bit and see how that goes we can learn from that that way we, we will get closer to more and more funds the idea is that eventually we're known by okay they know about startups they know about the process of investing so we can just get them into that niche mm -hmm. and so are you building kind of an m a or uh kind of this investment division within the company or is it more so you and your connections That's a very good point right now it's on me eventually i want to create kind of like a finance uh, division of the company meaning that for everything that is fintech and this could be from creating uh, financial products all the way through investing or, or like it happens uh, a lot of uh, investors they approach to us is like where we should invest and kind of like right now it's like oh yeah invest in that one in that one in that one we are not involved but uh could be interesting mm -hmm. in the future to have something more concrete there Right. And so, uh, so that's as far as funds go. And then you were mentioning when you were initially looking into Mexico, you had wanted to actually purchase a company. Is that, uh, was that in the early days where you were contemplating, should I actually start this myself within Mexico and go through that, I guess, headache of a process or actually just buy something and just boom, we've, we've got it. We can jumpstart this thing is that something that it was more in the middle uh, because kind of like we were scaling and i was really picky and then we found then we found a company that was really good but the numbers didn't didn't add up so we said okay this will save us two years of work but it's too expensive so with that money i can build two two offices in two countries so no way and then uh the last the second part of your question was uh are you still considering that today no to be honest i don't i mean unless i see something for example what i will be really interesting right now it's acquiring a company focus on something in a niche like okay a company focus on devops great i want to buy it company focus on iot i will be interested mm -hmm. a company in cybersecurity, or even something as simple as digital digital marketing good digital marketing agency i will buy it mm -hmm. because those are the things that mm -hmm. i don't have it and it will take me years to master so why waste? Why, why wait See if I can buy it? So Exactly. And then leverage that opportunity or leverage those assets, those connections, clients to be able to cross sell some of your existing products and services. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And as far as your personal investments go, what do you typically look at? I mean, obviously you're in the Bay Area. I'm sure you get inundated with requests and deals every single day or if not every single hour. Uh, through multiple mediums. So how do you sift through those and what are you looking to do outside of the business? What I like what I like to invest, I mean, more than the idea itself, I invest in the team. So as you mentioned, I receive a lot of inbound uh, offers to invest, oh, yeah. but I like to invest in the team. And this means that I, I need to understand what they want to do, the purpose, if this really motivate them. And also if I can help them because I might have the money, but it's, for me, it's not just writing a check. I'm not doing this because of, yes, I want to invest 20 and then I want to recoup my money. I want to learn, I want to help other entrepreneurs the same way that uh, other entrepreneurs helped me when I was uh, in the beginning. So I need to understand like, can I help, can I add value to them be besides the money? Can I bring connections? Can I give experience or something like that? If I'm, if I don't, if I'm not able to bring value to the table, I won't invest even if I have the money. So that's kind of like my thesis mm -hmm. on 
okay. how to choose. I like more real estate, uh, mm -hmm. scoring in any regard, scoring in health and financials or whatever. That's kind of like my sweet spot, but I need to be able to help them to scale somehow. Okay. Otherwise, I'm useless. Mm -hmm. uh, more so B2B, B2B or B2C? Any, any time uh, of the day. B2B. B2B. Okay. It's easier to scale. Okay. And definitely. <laughs> and uh, as far as focusing on Tecton versus some of your other interests, how do you, I guess percentage-wise, how much time do you focus running the company versus maybe your other interests like mentoring, uh, working on some of your other angel investments and other endeavors. So almost no, 18 months ago, I hired a CEO yeah. that was trained, who, who was really trained oh, nice. for her and it's doing 10 times better than I was doing it. So the company is better, healthier, I'm happy nice. and I can use part of that time to follow, you know, other things that I want to do. So, oh, wow. That's amazing. What? Because I, I know a lot of people talk about that, that they want to do that. How did you pull the trigger at the moment that you realized I need to get somebody else in, uh, for whatever reason, or was it kind of an ongoing process that maybe you got feedback to do this, um, kind of what led to you giving up the reins to somebody else? And no, was that a struggle? I was happy. Well I mean, from day one, the objective of any company is that it's not depending on the founder. That's kind of like my philosophy. So from day one, it's like how this company could mm -hmm. be real, meaning that if I die or I get hit by a car or the plane crashes, will this company survive? Or is just me uh, that is uh, mm -hmm. helping the company to scale? So from day one, I tried, I tried to build a company with a good culture that if I die, I hope that they continue with the same quality. And that takes me to what else do I need to build? Kind of like a steps. I need to build a good HR foundation and a good culture, a good pipeline of projects, a good financial model, a good blah, 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 until it's like, okay, now I need somebody who will be able to run all these because I don't want to run it. I don't wake up every morning saying, hey, let's see the PL, great. I'm so happy. I don't like that. I like to solve issues. So that's what motivates me. So that's, that's how I'm looking to see the experiment, how this goes. Probably in a year or two, I will be able to say, great. Now the company it's running by itself. Mm -hmm. I'm the founder. Great, I'll help the company, but it's not tied to me in in all the regards. That's good. That's good. And was that something that you had? Or I mean, was it something that from day one you knew I want to do this? So otherwise, was, otherwise, okay. otherwise, it's kind of like you're so lying yourself you're saying, "Yeah, I'll build, I'll build a company." A company is an entity that can run by itself without you Forever. in the equation. Otherwise it's like a, it's just a nice lifestyle business. That's my point of view. People might hate me, right. for that, but exactly. that's how I see it. That's true. No, I definitely agree. Um, and then now, as far as your, because you've done this, you've got expertise within this niche, this niche where it is so encompassing. I mean, you could help so many different businesses. It's a pretty versatile expertise that you do have. So what are you trying to do right now? Because you haven't quite, I mean, it's not like you've exited the business, but maybe in terms of a time standpoint, you've relieved quite a bit and yet it's still running. It's still going great. So how do you like mentally, I'm trying to understand, are you thinking, you know, let's take some time off, let's chill out a little bit, or 
are you constantly, no, I want to get back into this and I want to be doing I'm always thinking thing. of the next thing. So what I'm trying to do is write a book about all the mistakes that I made, uh, write more about, you know, all the mm -hmm. mistakes that I made about uh, the company. So other people don't make the same mistakes and thinking of what could be next, uh, in regards, like, should I, uh, build a company again? Should I join a board so I can help another companies or I don't know. I'm in that, in that exploration because I'm also yeah. still involved in the company, not into day to day, yeah. but you know, training sales. They need a team of salespeople. I need to train them. They need to see what's my pitch and all that. So that's where we are. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what is, I mean, if you had to say off the top of your head, what was one of the biggest mistakes that you did make that if you had not done that, it could have made, you could have been, you know, maybe two steps ahead. Understanding finance and business administration from day one, because I, my background is computer science. So I knew how to okay. code even before I went to university, mm -hmm. but the, the financial aspect, I mean, I, I knew how to charge, but one thing is I know how, how much to charge you and different things like how I structure the PNL, the, the, balance sheet and all that, because if I, if I had, if I have put a little bit more effort in that matter, probably will be able to scale way faster. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so was that more so during the negotiation process where you're dealing with the clients and you just said, you know what, we'll just give it to you for this amount or is the, the type, let's say it's. No, not even that. Time, not even, not even that. It was more like in regards to like, hey, hey, what? How's how's your financials in your company organized? Is is can we audit your financial statements? And it's like, oh no, no, definitely not because I didn't follow all. Uh, it's not that we <laughs> did it in a wrong way. It's kind of like it was not on the standard that a company the size that we have should have it. And we need to we we end up hiring a, C, a CFO right. that audit all the books, organize everything. Because for example, even if we want to get more money, we don't need to raise money. We can just go to the banks because we have a lot of history. So just to go, yeah, that's when we, I hit the, I hit the wall because one time we, 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 we needed the money to scale and it's like, yeah, let's go to the bank and ask for the money. They should give us mm -hmm. look our invoices and the bank was like, Hey, give me your numbers. And it's like, what, what's that? F fill out these forms. It's like, shoot, I don't have that information yeah. in the way that you want it. I have it in my own way. That was kind of like a more like how we see the business, mm -hmm. but they want to see it in, your, in their way. So it took us a lot of time to process, understand that because we were really young and immature. And then that's where we realized we need to have everything in order. We need to have all this audited. We need to have everything in place. Like if this company will be sell, will be, will be in sell tomorrow. Now how, that's how we keep the company. We don't want to sell it, but if, if somebody wants to review it, you will have everything. And I think I see that quite a bit, especially with a lot of companies that have been bootstrapped or have started without any intent to raise down the road or without any intent to truly exit. I mean, um, you're just yeah. running the show, you're, you're doing well financially, everything is going, but there's no, yeah, there's no need to show the books to anybody. Exactly. Until like like the bank. It's like, yeah, you want money? Great. You. Just give me those numbers. It's like, oh, I don't have it. Right. And it's like, how long will it take you? Probably six months. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Or even, even when you have yeah. huge yeah, projects these days where you prepare, but before, like if somebody asks you, Hey, we want to see your, we're working with a, several companies. They said, Hey, show me your financials audited from the last three years. Now it's like, yeah, that's fine. They'll take it. But 
five years, six years ago, it's like, okay, I don't have that. So you, you, even when we like you, we cannot give you the project because you don't follow our yeah. compliance. Yeah, been there definitely during the supplier vetting process. Where all right, you know, let's see everything: the financial risk assessment, the risk profile of the supplier, and you know, it's it's tough to tough to do that, especially when you're a smaller company or when you've been doing it in such a way. So, uh, especially at the eleventh hour when bidding is bidding is completed, bidding is closed, and there's vetting the suppliers, and then whoever's ready to go, unfortunately, will close that deal. As far as some of your other interests go, what, aside from your current business right now, what has been the most exciting to you? If you could take everything away, you have zero time, zero hours in the day that you're spending on everything else, and you could spend all the time in the world on a new technology, a new endeavor, a new opportunity. What is really attractive to you right now? Because right now, a lot of people, the thing is that with technology, it's became more and more granular and more complex to understand, and the companies didn't get it. And the engineers, you can say, yes, I'm a great uh, Bash and Perl engineer, and then suddenly, no, you're a great product owner or Scrum master or whatever. But people and engineers or, or people and people, they don't, they don't understand each other. So for me, there is a huge gap into how you recruit people. Right. Recruiting, it was uh, kind of like really easy in a way when you were hiring a CFO, CEO, because you know exactly what you're expecting. The input and output is clear. In the digital world, it's way is the opposite. Mm -hmm. You have no idea what with the input, you have no idea what with the output. So you need somebody who is flexible enough if you understand the purpose for both of them. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm seeing a lot of like uh, my head is going into that direction and. Again, that mix between scoring in a way and also mm -hmm. HR. And um, everybody will need technology. Everybody will need people. That takes you to the second one. The second, the second yeah. level of that one is kind of like training, because in one way you will be able to help people that is already trained and prepared. Mm -hmm. But in the second wave, you will need more of those people, and you won't find them on the market. So you need to train people. That's where my head is going. When you said scoring, uh, do you mean, because I've always thought about this, there's a glass door for companies, but why not a glass door for the actual people? Uh, uh, I mean, is it, do you mean some, in some sort of, of assessment or it's, scoring it's them, profile? The, for the engineer, resume? for the, okay. for, I will put it for uh, scoring for digital talent and a scoring mm -hmm. for companies that require digital talent. So I can be sure that, yes, you're asking for an agile mm -hmm. team of what? And for what and then i will be able to tell you what exactly do you need that's where my head is going mm -hmm. okay and how do you integrate the technology aspect into that because there because i do see based on what you're saying there is a lot of subjectivity right it's uh, it's going to be truly understanding, empathizing with the people. And uh, it's more of a people aspect when you are recruiting, right? So integrating the technology will be a complement, but it wouldn't completely be able to in a way, sure in, a, in a way, obviously I haven't process. solved that issue. I see right. a lot of startups in that, in that uh, yeah. market that are trying to do something similar. So what I'm seeing in, in the world is kind of like pieces. So what I do want to do is like, can mm -hmm. I put those pieces together so I can build a product or I need to build that product because in a way yes the technical part is easy to validate in a way because you just give the, the, the 
challenges or the test like Google does, and you see, yeah, this guy is great. But I want to know, it's like, is the is mm -hmm. him a good fit for my company in Mexico or in Canada, depending on the culture there? Right. So you have different factors. Like Canadians have specific mm -hmm. specific uh, aspects of their culture Not that are different from the U.S. The U.S. is way different than Mexico. Mexico is way different mm -hmm. from Chile. So this right. algorithm, in a way, needs to understand like what are the those key factors that you need to check. For example, in Argentina, everybody is good talking. Great. Do I need a lot? Mm -hmm. Do I put a lot of uh, in my algorithm, that's good or bad. That doesn't matter because everybody's good talking. So I need to evaluate something else and something else and something. It's kind of like layers of an algorithm that I want to, I want to build in a way. Oh, wow. That is true. That's very true. Especially as I've dealt with so many different people, so many either colleagues or clients or, uh, people that I was looking to hire in multiple different countries. It's, uh, the cultural aspect is very significant. Uh, I mean, not just the language, but it's just how you do business when you do business uh why you're doing it uh the motivation is a significant factor yeah so if you want money great but i will i will put you in jobs where you will make a lot of money and there is no soul if that's what moves you great because they don't right. care about culture they don't care about it yeah. in, in the other hand do you care more about an environment do you want to care what do you care based on that that's why the algo needs to go for both ends mm -hmm. i assess you in a way like i know what you're good for what's your culture the other side is like this company, even when it's kind of like a good fit, you won't last. And that's what's happening everywhere. You have engineers that are really good and they work yeah. six months, eight months, and they move. That, that rotation is expensive I mean, and the quality of the product is crap. Mm -hmm. And then it's, everything goes to hell. And then yeah. you ask why digital transformation is not working. That's started with the recruitment. And so when you were, when you were running the full operation, how did you oversee kind of the cultural aspects, I, obviously within each region, you have your own office manager and that leadership team built in. But as a whole, when you're looking down on your team, you've got multiple different cultures, styles, uh, perspectives, motivations. So from your seat, how did you manage that? And were there a lot of cultural, uh, cultural learning, learning sessions or any sort of team building things that no, you did my, my way it was very easy i was traveling i was traveling a lot so i was like meeting with people i was sitting with them i was trying okay. to communicate i was trying to understand what moves them, what motivates them what's the problem that's the only way that uh no, that's the only way that, my, that was my way mm -hmm. and it worked because in each of the regions we were trying to do and for example in peru, in peru we were trying to do a lot of uh, team building exercises but the best way was me traveling to peru stay with them talk to them, have lunch with them, sitting with them, mm -hmm. the same with Mexico, the same with everywhere. The same thing I do with my clients because I treat them in the, in the same way. I mean, we are a team. So mm -hmm. I, I was traveling a lot back in the day. I was right. traveling like three weeks a month, three weeks every month, just visiting. I was taking my, my bag and I was like three weeks, like oh, wow. Mexico. I was doing Lima, Mexico, Mexico, Miami, Miami, Charlotte, Charlotte, New York, New York, Chicago, Chicago, Texas, Texas, San Francisco, San Francisco, back to Lima. That was my... Yeah my my job in a way wow. your loop and i'm sure your your team definitely appreciated and loved you for doing that because having that face-to-face -face exposure especially from the founder i'm sure they valued that and thinking you know what this guy is actually coming to see me on a frequent basis he's spending the time with me he's visiting me face to face it's not over the phone it's not through my direct manager, 
the head of the company is actually coming and talking to me and our team as a whole on a frequent basis. Do you think that actually, like you could see that and that kept you going because you saw that connection, you saw that trust. And that was my hypothesis and that was validated. The ones that we started seeing it, the same for the clients, you know, like the, the, everybody have value when you go and visit them. Hey, why are you here? Just visit mm -hmm. you guys. I don't have any other meetings and my clients are in the US. So I'm here in Peru just because I want to see you and see how we can make the company better, how, what we could improve. So what I try to apply always is like, we don't even build plans for the next five years. I don't believe in that. I believe in like how we're better in the next quarter, how we're better in that quarter after that, based on the previous one. So, mm -hmm. because if I'm telling you, yes, we will be a hundred million dollars in five years, great. I don't care. I mean, we could make zero profit with a hundred million, but I'd rather stay where, we, where I am yeah. with a good profit. So it, it depends. I'm just trying to be better every every day. And so you had started in out in Peru. When you go back, when you visit there today, how is the ecosystem for either startups or uh, new entrepreneurs, um, even in school, you know, for someone like you who had started a business right out of or right within college, how is it that environment today? When I started, uh, meaning that right now you can see, you don't see, <laughs> sorry. You don't see investment funds, uh, sorry, you don't see venture capitalists, but you see a lot of angel investment in the area, meaning that there are people that are willing to put money. Uh, you see a lot of startups. The ecosystem in Peru is a little bit uh, immature in many ways because it's small, we are it's behind, but at least it's showing signs of, yes, it's improving, it's going to be better. And the only thing that I always mention to startups in Latin America and not only in Peru is that think big they tend to think like oh mexico oh well, mexico's huge oh in peru oh chile but guys that market size is like this so if you think that that's your universe i won't even i won't even right. listen to you because that's too small and that's that's why it's surprising that you from day one thought you know what i'm gonna have my client like, if you're gonna life. i mean so, i'm gonna fail anyway yeah, so why am not fail doing something big I mean, in my way, I need to have nothing to lose. I mean, Going even today, down. I don't yeah. care if I lose everything. I can start again. But at that moment, it was like 21, 22, no mortgage, no debt. So it's like, what the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. I will learn. I will, if I, my objective in university was like build one yeah. startup every semester. So the worst thing that could happen is that you will fail in all of them. And you know that you are not good for building companies and just go and work for IBM. So in this case, it's like, if we are aiming to a market, let's go for the biggest market. <laughs> right. The worst thing is like, we will get 0.0001% and that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so the environment out in Peru, is it, you said there's no, not many VCs, but are the angel investors, are they more entrepreneurs like yourself that have been doing well and want to give back to the community and invest locally? Or is it people, you know, maybe family offices, things like that, that are, uh, getting into the angel world or who are these folks or are they actually foreign investors looking to invest with us? A little bit of family offices, very small and most likely will be executives that are retired and they have money. So they want to get into the new trend of technology and be cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's good though. I mean, at least that, they are seeing this and they're able to actually invest within this, uh, within the local environment, the, the local ecosystem. So, you know, uh, hopefully that will inspire a lot more folks within, 
within the country, within the cities and, you know, develop new entrepreneurs like yourself. So, but, uh, Kenneth, thank you so much again today. I know, uh, probably got to run, but appreciate you taking the time and going through, you know, kind of your journey, how you started, expanded to so many different countries, expanded your team, and then also interested to, uh, keep tabs on what thank you're you doing so much. for the I appreciate future it for because the again and you're going to kill it in whatever you do. Happy to participate. Perfect. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Please do leave a comment on your thoughts about today's episode and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest on the Global Ouge. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy.